What was God doing before Genesis? Welcome to What Do You Mean God Speaks? I am Paul Sungwajung, and this is the sixth postseason extra episode God before Genesis. There are always things I leave out in more or less every episode of this series. Relevant topics, issues, or questions that I couldn't get to. And you'd know this since there are times when I'd mention a topic or bring up a question and then say something like, but that's for another episode. And sometimes I don't even bring up such a topic because doing so would push the episode off the tangent or make the episode too long or too complicated. So I leave it aside with a plan to bring it up again sometime in the future. I mean, Take the previous extra episode. There I began by exploring how throughout history, humanity has often resorted to the use of power and even violence to advance their truths or ideals. But the motivations that I described during that episode for seizing and using that kind of power was our initial desire to realize our ideals or to defend our truth against our foes, real or imagined. What I didn't really cover though was the role of much darker motivations of vengefulness, greed, contempt, or sheer malice which can use our cherished beliefs or values as pretext to seize power or resort to violence. Now, I did briefly mention these darker motivations in the main season's 11th episode and I will delve into them more from the next season and onward. But there is one more reason that I leave some questions aside for a future episode. And that is, I'm still in the process of exploring these questions myself. The description of this podcast states that this is a series for the skeptics who want to understand religion, Christians with questions about their own beliefs, and everyone in between. But that's also me. I'm a Christian with questions about my beliefs, and a significant part of me is still in a sense a skeptic who wants to understand. I said before that this series seeks to correct some confusions and misunderstandings regarding Christian beliefs, and to reframe or reconstruct the Christian worldview for those with a non-Christian or skeptical perspectives. But I'm doing all that because I myself am exploring these issues as a Christian with a skeptical side. So what you're hearing in each episode is the questions that I've raised for myself along with the conclusions that I've come to so far and the things that I'm still thinking through. And there are some things that I'm still thinking about, still trying to understand and put into words. And those I leave aside for appropriate future episodes. So I meant those exact words in the first season trailer when I said, I invite you to explore with me the world that Christianity presents. Now, I brought all this up because there was one issue that I've left out in the very first episode of this series, and it was mostly because going into it then would have made the episode longer and more complicated and push it off the tangent. But part of it is also because it's a difficult topic to put into words. You will see what I mean later. Back in that first episode, I raised this point that we misunderstand what we mean by God when we think of God simply as just another entity beside others, except one that's all-powerful and all-knowing. I said that living in our largely secularized perspective, 
we forgotten the larger framework that would have made better sense of the idea of God, so that we now need a translation of a sort. So I suggested that for us, a word that comes closest to what the Jewish and Christian traditions have understood as God, God with a capital G, is reality. God is not an entity in our reality. God is reality. But then I added that by this, I do not mean that God is the universe. That would be yet another wrong understanding. But what's the difference? Well, I gave you an initial answer that the term reality is more immediate and more encompassing than the term the universe, and then went on to explain how. But why does this distinction matter? Well, let's take some time to delve into that more here. Why? Because the real issue here was the question of the difference between God as the creator and everything else as creation. And understanding that difference would grant us a helpful framework for the upcoming season, the book of Genesis, which begins with the account of the creation of the cosmos. So we return to the question, what was God doing before Genesis? What was God doing in all that time before creating the cosmos? Because, you see, if we can answer that, it would help us distinguish God from God's creation. Now, there's a story told about St. Augustine, a Christian philosopher and theologian who lived more than 1,600 years ago. I've mentioned him a few times before. He was once asked this very question, what God was doing for all that time before creating the cosmos, and he's said to have jokingly replied, God was creating hell for people who ask such questions. Now, whether you find this answer amusing or not, this story, as with so many other popular stories told about Christianity nowadays, is false. His actual answer is found in one of his most famous works, The Confessions. In its 11th book, by the way, the entire Confessions is about the length of a novel, and each book is more like a chapter. So there, Augustine brings up the question of what God was doing before creating the world. And he mentions how there are people who answer this question by making jokes, like the one with God creating hell. He then comments that he'd rather say he doesn't know than to give such a flippant answer to someone who's asking a serious question just to win some laughs. Augustine does have an answer though. There is no before Genesis. God created time when he created the cosmos. So there was no time before Genesis. Augustine observed that time is a measure of change and change require things that change even if, say, it's just a single elementary particle that decays. And yes, the last bit is modern particle physics and not Augustine. By the way, Augustine's reflection on time is surprisingly well-liked by modern physicists because of how they resonate with their understanding of time and the Big Bang cosmology. Anyway, Augustine's point was before the creation of the cosmos with all those things in it that can, well, change, there was no such thing as time. Well, even that's not quite the right way of saying it, since there is no before the creation of the cosmos. After all, before is used to describe positions in time, or as modern physicists like to say about questions on what was happening before the Big Bang, that is like asking what is south 
of the South Pole. And no, there is no South of the South Pole. So if we've been thinking that God was spending an unimaginable amount of time doing nothing before one day deciding to create the world, we'd be wrong. God created time and space also, by the way. And so God himself is beyond time and space. That is what it's meant by saying that God is eternal, by the way. Not merely that God exists through infinitely long time, but that God is timeless. If you have a hard time grasping that idea, an example of timeless truths is uh, in mathematics. So 1 plus 1 is 2. It isn't that 1 plus 1 was 2 and will be 2. That would be an odd way of saying it. Rather, 1 plus 1 is 2, always unaffected by time. It is truth that is timeless. Likewise, God is timeless. Well, that probably helped only a tiny bit though, because what's it like being timeless anyway? And besides, all that still doesn't quite answer our first question. So there was no time before God created the cosmos, okay? And God is beyond time and space, uh, okay? But still, we want to ask what God was doing when, no, that's a word for time. Um, what was God doing when, but not when, whatever, you know, not creating the cosmos. What was God doing? Or if God is beyond time, is God like frozen in time? But wait, there will be no time to be frozen. So, okay, uh, anyway, what is God like outside? No, that's a word for space. Uh, God outside, but not outside, you know, creation. What is God like there? No, there is a word for space again. Mm, what's God like apart from creation? No, apart is also spatial. Uh, but you know what I mean. Am I the only one having trouble here trying to ask the question? And if you get the frustration that I'm going through in being unable to put into words the question that we want to ask, you've encountered an aspect of the idea of God, which the theologians have termed the transcendence of God. This means that God transcends or is beyond every created thing and every possible concept. The problem is that every word, every term, every concept that is available to us is from our world. That is, the world that God created, which means there are all things that God transcends. So none of these terms truly apply to God. And this includes things like space and time, which are so fundamental to our thinking that when Albert Einstein showed merely that space and time were physical things that can bend, contract, and stretch, it blew our minds. And we're trying to figure out what it is like when time does not exist at all. Or consider my point that God is not an entity, or as traditional Christian theology puts it, that God is not a being, but rather being itself. And we have a hard time making sense of that because everything we know, all of them are entities. We are created beings. We are entities. We live in time and space. We think in these terms. But if none of these terms truly apply to God and God is beyond all these things, what can we actually say about God? More, is there anything we can even believe or think in regard to God? Because if there aren't, does it even make sense to say we believe in something when that something cannot even be thought of? But these questions are missing the 
other side of the idea. What I mean is, the idea that God is transcendent didn't just come out of nowhere. We arrived at the idea after thinking through and wrestling with our conception of reality. Reality that's all around us. Too many of us nowadays seem to have this notion that the idea of God came about when religious people spontaneously thought of this character and gave him some attributes like how, say, comic book writers give their superhero superpowers. As if they said, uh, let's give our God the power to do everything and let's call it omnipotence because that sounds awesome. Ooh, ooh, let's also make him transcendent so he's like beyond everything. But that's not really how it happened historically. At the very least, that's not what happened in regard to the general idea of God with a capital G because we have the records of the uh, prophets, priests, and later the theologians and philosophers who were wrestling with the idea for millennia. Okay, here's a heavily simplified summary. Uh, If it gets too technical for you in the midway though, uh, you can skip to the next section where I'll be using a simpler analogy of the author of a story. Uh, You can check where the next section begins from the episode description. Anyway, so since our earliest days, we've observed that things come into being. Things around us come from somewhere. They are caused by something or are born and so on. And there are also forces and powers in the world uh, changing things around us and making things happen. But what is the origin of all of these things? Well, one answer is the widely held belief found in many different peoples and cultures, which is that there is a God that created this world and everything in it. And this is a very old idea, predating any written records and likely as old as, well, humanity itself. Another answer, though, that emerged much later is a more philosophical idea of a universal or ultimate principle of all things, uh, that there is a structure to the world, a principle underlying how all things behave, change, and come to be, from the stars in the heavens to the creatures here on the earth. The idea of the Logos and its variants in Greek philosophy, such as the Platonic forms, is an example of this. Now, the two answers aren't mutually exclusive. Often, this philosophical idea emerged from thinking about the Creator God. And in most cases, this ultimate principle usually was identified with a Creator deity in some way. This is what happened, for example, in the Hindu Vedanta traditions, and likewise in Greek philosophy with schools like Stoicism and Platonism. And of course, it happened in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam when they incorporated Greek philosophy into their belief systems. But then, this raised a new question. What is this creator deity, or the ultimate principle, like in themselves? Uh, We know what it is that they bring about in our world, which is basically everything, but What are they in themselves? Uh, That's when the answer became very elusive. Because that's the point when we realize that the ultimate cause of everything cannot be like anything else. For a rather simplistic example, if a certain god created rocks and water and fire, then it stands to reason that there were no rocks, water, nor fire before this god created them. And if so, The creator can't be, for example, made out of those things. And what if this god 
created everything in the world, not just inert things like rocks, but forces of nature or life itself or space and time. And it's pretty much the same issue with the more philosophical idea of the ultimate principle. The ultimate principle in itself is unlike anything else that this principle brings into being. Plato describes the good, the supreme form, in almost mystical ways as beyond time and space, eternal and timeless. And centuries later, Plotinus, Neoplatonist philosopher in the Roman Empire, concluded that the ultimate principle of things, which he called the one, was beyond understanding. And I've already mentioned in another episode that uh, in ancient China, Lao Tzu said that the Tao is such that though this principle brings forth everything that is and guides everything that happens, the Tao itself cannot be described nor truly named. In Hindu philosophical traditions, the ultimate principle and reality, Brahman, is ineffable and inexpressible, so that in one prominent school, the search for that level of reality is described as neti neti, which is not this nor that, because no concept that we have can ever apply. Modern science is no different in this particular regard, by the way. So let's say science one day discovers the ultimate laws of nature, the full set of laws, or perhaps even a single principle that governs how the universe, life, and everything came to be, from the Big Bang and onward. This, by the way, for Christianity, would be the logos of God. So that if you discover the full set of such laws, well, that would be in a sense the discovery of an aspect of God as far as Christianity is concerned. But still the same problem that I've been describing would arise if we were to ask what these laws of nature are in themselves. I mean, we can know what the laws are in the sense that we know what it is that they govern or do or at least describe, which is how the universe comes into being and how things behave in nature. But what are the laws in themselves? So for example, are these laws real? I mean, we'd assume that they would be. They can't just be in our heads. But real in what sense? Are they real like rocks are real? That doesn't sound quite right. They aren't physical things. Do these laws exist in space or time? Well, that can't be true since they govern how space or time emerges, for lack of better words. Uh, so if they are real and they exist, so to speak, uh, in what way do they do so? And so on it goes. And this problem applies really to any laws of nature that we know already. And science does not answer these kind of questions. Uh, it's not meant to. They are unanswerable, really. And this is what the idea of the transcendence of God was trying to convey in a way. Uh, we will encounter a limit when we try to get to the origin of everything around us to seek the ultimate level of our reality. Whether this is the creator or the ultimate principle or the laws of nature or all of the above, we can describe what it does or what it brings about in our reality. But that's it. That's the limit. And there's a limit on what we can say or think in regard to the ultimate level of reality where our questions and our thoughts and our concepts become silent. And this level of reality, the origin, the most fundamental and the ultimate level, is like a horizon. It's there, so to speak, and it's real. But that's as far as we can go. That's as far as we can speak of or think about. You can't peer beyond that. 
And that is the idea of the transcendence of God. There's more to be said on the topic. There's the idea, for example, that because no word or term or concept can be truly applied to the ultimate level of reality, i.e. God, this opens a particularly unique way, what is called a negative way, of speaking about God, or the ultimate principle, or whatever. And you can find versions of this idea across vastly different philosophical and religious traditions, uh, from the Greek and Hellenistic philosophy to Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Neo-Confucianism, and of course, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. But I will stop here. Uh, See, I wanted to move on to something that I've mentioned in the first season's episode 6, what to remember when you're speaking about God. And the main point that I covered there was that everything we say of God for Christianity is analogical. What we say of God is the best that we can say within the limit of our language and thoughts. And because of that, they're in the form of analogies. So, Here's an analogy that I found to be especially helpful for me, and it's one that I used even in the first episode. God is like a storyteller, and the story that God speaks is all of reality. Now, in the first season, I repeatedly pointed out that at the most general level, reality is like a speech, in that reality communicates. That is why our thoughts and language can describe the laws of nature or define justice or evoke beauty. But it is more than that. Reality unfolds a narrative. The history of the universe is a story. Our lives are stories. Uh, Whenever we talk about them, whenever we describe them, they come out as stories. So a good analogy again is that reality as it unfolds through time is like a story. And God is like the author of the story. Uh, This will then help us understand in what sense God is outside at least our time and reality. Uh, See, the author of a story is beyond the time and space inside of that story. For example, in the story Hamlet, the author Shakespeare is not bound to any point in time or location inside the world in which Hamlet lived. For Shakespeare, every event in Hamlet's story, every moment and every location will be equally present to him. His mind can reach any point in time and any location at any moment. And if you were to ask what Shakespeare was doing when, say, Hamlet found that Ophelia had died in the story, there will be two answers. First would be that Shakespeare is outside the passage of time in Hamlet's world, So the question is not proper, it cannot be asked. We cannot connect a point in Hamlet's time to any point in Shakespeare's time. But the second answer is that if we must answer that question somehow, the closest connection between the point in time inside the story when Hamlet learns of Ophelia's death uh, to Shakespeare's life will be when Shakespeare is writing out that scene. And in the same way, God is like an author of the story. But there is a limit to this analogy. Outside the story of Hamlet, Shakespeare also lives inside his own world, inside another story, presumably real one, in which he's a member. God does not, though. Or to put it differently, there is no outside to God's story. God is not just beyond the space and time of our universe, but beyond all space and all time of 
every possible universe. And if there are indeed so-called other universes, God would be the author of those too. And that's what makes God, God with a capital G. And at this point, some of us may object saying, okay, let's grant for now that reality is like a story. Why should we believe that there is a storyteller, an author, especially when there is no outside of this God story? Then what's the point of talking about an author of a story that encompasses, well, everything that can ever be? Well, when we distinguish between a story and the author of the story, we do so mainly for two reasons. Uh, first is that uh, the authors are people like us with physical bodies and live outside of their stories. Uh, first reason obviously doesn't apply to God, so we'll leave that aside. But the second reason is that the author is more than that one story she tells. She may tell many other stories, and she could have told different ones than the one that she chose to tell. Jane Austen authored Pride and Prejudice, but she also authored Emma, and if she wanted, she could have written completely different stories made up completely of different worlds. Pride and Prejudice is indeed Jane Austen's story, but Jane Austen as an author is more than just Pride and Prejudice. Reality is like a story, and always keep in mind the analogical nature of what we are saying and their limits. And if reality is like a story, God is like the author, because God could have told a different story, or perhaps spoken many other stories, infinitely more for all we know. Or to put it in another way, the universe could have been different than it is now, or it could have not existed at all. Or perhaps there are other universes. Some cosmologists think that there are other universes, though they would have come into being through the same set of ultimate laws of nature that govern that process, the same logos. This is why God is not the universe. The Christian idea of God is more fundamental and comprehensive than that. To be precise, I believe my words in the first episode was, God is reality at the most fundamental and the most comprehensive level with its infinite variations and possibilities. That is God before Genesis. But we cannot relate to such God. According to Christianity, like it or not, all of us are already living within a particular story that God is speaking. Our reality is structures, laws, time and space, and everything around us is God speaking. And God that we can relate to is God that is speaking that story. Now, unlike the stories that we humans tell, characters in the story that God speaks, namely us, are more real and are able to direct our own stories within the larger story of God. We participate in the story, and that is how we relate to reality, uh, to God. Now, all this is why the question of asking what God was doing before Genesis was, in the end, unanswerable. Because for Christianity, anything that is real to us, anything that can be said, anything that can even be thought of, is God speaking. And speaking the particular story of our reality in which we live. So trying to think about God beyond all of that, God before Genesis, is like trying to say what God is saying when he is not speaking. And God first speaks in the opening of Genesis. And that began the story. And then there was something to talk about. 
So please stay tuned for the upcoming season of What Do You Mean God Speaks? Genesis.